0: I'm Fiona and you're listening to the Over the Fence podcast by Farmers for Climate Action. In this episode, we share a conversation I had recently at the launch of our latest report. It's called Fork in the Road and examines the impacts of climate change on Australia's food supply. This conversation is with the report author, Stephen Bartos, plus John McGovern, who's the CEO of Cattle Council, and Brett Hosking, Chair of Grain Growers. The launch brought hundreds of farmers, ag industry reps, government reps, and interested members of our community together. They came along to hear more about the challenges and opportunities facing our food supply chains from farms to dining tables in the face of climate change. We wanted to share it with you too, so thanks for listening in. The report can be found on our website at farmersforclimateaction.org.au. So thank you so much for joining us for the launch of our new report, Fork in the Road, the Impacts of Climate Change on Our Food Supply. So I'm the CEO at Farmers for Climate Action and we're a movement of more than 7,000 farmers from across Australia. So over the last couple of years we've had our food supply chains break down in ways we've never seen before. Today when we walk into a supermarket we can no longer take for granted that we'll be able to buy the food that we're looking for and of course COVID has played a role in this but extreme weather events have added to this disruption And as the latest IPCC report has shown, this is gonna get worse without deep emission cuts this decade. So prompted by the public discussion we've been seeing around supply chains, we turn to Stephen Bartos uh, to tell us how climate change plays into this. So Stephen produced a report for the federal government um, back in 2012 on resilience in our food supply system. So he was really well placed to take on this challenge. So I'm delighted to be here today launching the resulting report and to be bringing along our report author Stephen Bartos as well as Cattle Council CEO John McGovern and also Grain Growers Chair Brett Hosking. So we're going to have a chat and talk about the report and its implications for ag and Australian families. So we'll also have a time at the end to take questions from the audience. Um, So uh, please ask your questions in the Q&A section and we will get to as many as we can. Um, First up, Stephen, can you tell us a bit about what you found and were you surprised by what you found as part of this research?
1: Thanks, Fiona. And thank you also for your acknowledgement of country. I'm joining you from Ngunnawal and Ngambri land. Uh, Yes, look, this this report in a way wasn't a surprise, but the things that uh, just jumped out for me were that climate change is already affecting our food supply chains. Uh, It has already led to uh, instances of food outages, that is, empty supermarket shelves. And it's having an ongoing impact, regardless of the impact of extreme weather events in terms of food prices. Because one of the comments that was made to me, I interviewed uh, a whole heap of farmers and farm organisations for this. Without exception, every single one of them mentioned that uh, the biggest impact on their businesses from climate change was unpredictability. Climate change is adding unpredictability to future weather patterns, and that's very hard to plan for, not just on farm, but in all of the supply chain. And it also results in higher costs because banks and insurance companies hate unpredictability. Uh, They increase the prices of things like insurance products, if you can even get them at all. And I'm sure Brett might have something to say about that. And uh, that means there's higher prices that consumers have to pay for their food. What we're seeing is that uh, climate change uh, increases the risk of extreme weather events and by extreme weather events we mean things like floods, bushfires, uh, droughts, Uh, we're seeing uh, tropical cyclones although there's probably not going to be more of them, Uh, we're seeing them growing in severity and moving southwards, Uh, extreme rain events also because climate change produces variability in some places it's actually leading to to more rather than less uh, heavy frost events. So, so it's, it's all sorts of uh, different impacts, uh, all of which go to that question of uh, how well can our supply chains cope? So Australia is, is a major food producing country. Uh, we export uh, somewhere uh, over 70% of Australia's food production. Uh, so we we've, we've, don't have a problem in terms of supply. Farmers in Australia are terrifically good. growing food but we do have a problem already and a problem that will just grow worse and worse in coming years in terms of getting that food off the farms and onto the supermarket shelves and onto the consumers dining tables because our supply chains are going to be increasingly disrupted by extreme events. I was struck by something that the National Farmers Federation said and that is that uh, what recent events have done is exposed just fragile uh, uh, supply chains for food are in the face of climate change uh, and that fragility is something that has to be addressed. There are things that can be done in terms of uh, adaptation and resilience and a lot of uh, farm businesses are already doing that uh, but by far the most important uh, thing that needs to be done in Australia uh, is actually to cut greenhouse gas emissions so as to uh, do our bit to helping curb climate change. Because as has been made absolutely clear by the most recent report from the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, there are limits to adaptation. If we rely only on adaptation, uh, we are gonna get to a point where uh, all of those measures uh, will just be uh, nothing in the face of climate change because it'll be too extreme for us to manage. Deep emissions cuts. Uh, Cutting emissions uh, is essential. And now is a really good time to do it. Farmers have actually had quite good seasons. Uh, And there is is money in farming. uh, And the federal government has the capacity uh, to actually take action on climate change. So uh, there's an urgency, as is made quite clear by the science, uh, but there's also an opportunity. And one of the things that actually did strike me doing this project for you, and I'm very grateful that Farmers for Climate Action asked me to do this report, was the extent to which a lot of the things that farm businesses are doing in order to mitigate climate change are also good for productivity. So the red meat industry, for example, has adopted a target of going carbon neutral by 2030. That's way ahead of the federal government target of uh, carbon neutrality by 2050. But what a lot of the uh, organisations in that particular supply chain, bear in mind there's lots of different food products, so there's lots of supply chains. But in the red meat supply chain, uh, I I was hearing that uh, the measures to go carbon neutral are actually also improving productivity, things like better pasture management, planting windbreaks, uh, better transport systems uh, are helping mitigate climate change, but they're also uh, leading to higher quality meat products. So uh, there are opportunities, I think, for uh, farmers to take. And, and I'm sure John will have something to say about how uh, important that target of reaching carbon neutrality is for the red meat industry. It's becoming an absolute commercial imperative for Australian farmers. A lot of, uh, remember I said 70% of our product is exported. A lot of export markets are now demanding that Australian farms and Australian farm products are carbon friendly, uh, aren't contributing to uh, adverse climate change. It's become almost the price of entry in uh, a number of markets, including, for example, uh, European supermarket chains. So uh, we should be doing climate change mitigation for its own sake. It's highly desirable, uh, but also simply for uh, commercial reasons, uh, for good business reasons. It makes really good sense as well. Uh, So the bottom line is that, uh, yes, there's a lot of things that can and should be done on adaptation and resilience, but emissions cuts have to be the top priority.
0: Thanks, Stephen. And I just wanted to throw to John here. Um, so John McGovern, CEO of Cattle Council. John, can you share your reflections on the report and what this means for the cattle industry and Aussie consumers? We've seen incredible price rises for beef recently. Do you think this has peaked? Are we likely to see it go further? Tell us.
2: Uh, thanks, Fiona. Thanks for, the, I suppose, the opportunity to... To come along today. It's I think. Look, the report I think is a very timely one. Um, we've obviously seen a number of shocks in the supply chain over the last few years. Uh, the, you know, the most apparent one at the moment is obviously the floods in, in Australia on the coast and the impact that that's having on supply chains. Um, you know, if we look more broadly from a global perspective, we've got a war in in, in Ukraine at the moment, and that's also I suppose presenting some problems and being as as, um, Stephen has already mentioned, you know, being an industry that is highly reliant on global markets, we need to uh, export about 70% of our products. So any of these um, global shocks that come along are are a challenge for us, but I also think they're probably an opportunity because they give us an ability to look at where these shocks are. And if we use, you know, some of these <clears throat> some of these uh, crises that are occurring and will continue to occur as a result of climate change, these provide us an opportunity to identify where we've got some real issues and, and and you know, particularly from a from a cattle industry perspective, our supply chain is a long one and it's a complicated one and there are a lot of players in it. Um, you know, and if we look at there's obviously the production aspects of it, which Stephen has already mentioned, and, and the industry is working towards adaptation to to improve our ability to mitigate the impacts of climate change. But also, you know, we're looking at how we can be a part of this solution to it as well. And, you know, that requires some that requires some long term thinking and some long-term commitment from the industry and it also requires a lot of long-term thinking and commitment from government and, and this is probably where you know we have struggled to, to maybe uh, get some uh, some coordination I suppose between industry and government on this and it, it's one of the things that as uh, Stephen's already mentioned, industry needs certainty to be able to invest, and if it's not there, we will struggle. So the government obviously has a role in the policy settings. It also has a role in incentivising industry um, and stepping in where there is a market failure to get us to a position where we can actually take over from, from government in some of these aspects and then be able to um, ensure that these supply chains are maintained. So. I think from that that perspective, it's it it really is this this report is, provides an opportunity to start that discussion in a more um, constructive way and, and perhaps a little bit less of a piecemeal way than what we've probably had before. So I suppose if we just look at the, the current situation and there's obviously impacts on roads, um, you know, for the red meat industry in particular, there's always constraints, particularly around cold storage and you know, we can only store beef for so long before uh, we run out of room. And you know, any disruptions to whether it's shipping or in- domestic um, freight or other supply chain components, then we 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 struggle pretty quickly on that that part of it. So we need to to, to look at this current situation and 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 others. Um, to take the opportunity to see where these where these blockages are, you know. And I, I suppose if I if I sound a little bit um, pessimistic about the whole thing, you know, the other thing that's not mentioned in the report is that, you know, social breakdown is the other component that that can result out of these out of these impacts. And uh, COVID gave us a pretty good example, but uh, you know, Hurricane Katrina, when that came went through New Orleans, really demonstrated how. Quickly, social uh, cohesion can break down. So, you know that, that probably all sounds a little bit of apocalyptic, but um, you know that's some of the some of the issues that I think we need to to, to look at um, from a cattle industry perspective. Um, you know, the obvious one is drought and how long they last and our ability to mitigate the impacts of those. You know, we need to to look at how we manage those better. And, and to be fair, we've got a hell of a lot better, but I think we've got a fair way to go as well. Um, you know, the danger with it, <coughs> these, these continual cycles of, of drought and flood is that we are now you know re- herd rebuilding phase. Um, and that's obviously contributed to very high cattle prices. The danger being that we never actually get back to full production because another drought comes along before our breeding herd gets back to capacity. Um, so, you know, if we're on this continual boom-bust cycle, that's, that's going to prove very difficult. Um, yeah, and I suppose the other part of that is that, you know, from a business perspective, while the uh, production sector is very keen and happy with, what, with what's happening at the moment as far as cattle prices go, you know, the, the processing sector is feeling a fair bit of pain out of this, so, you know, ultimately, everyone in the system has to make money. Um, and the danger is that if, if if you know one part of that system fails, then we all fail. So that that's probably the other thing we need to keep in mind. Um, so I'll probably probably leave it there for the time being. Fiona, thank you.
0: Thanks, John. Great issues to think about there. And I'm going to throw now to Brett Hosking, the chair of Grain Growers. So. Brett, what are the key ways we're seeing the grain supply chain being impacted? And what do you think will happen in the future? Are we going to see the price of bread rise even further?
3: Yeah, I think our morning toast is safe, um, as is my morning bowl of porridge. But um, uh, thanks, Fiona, for having me. And thank you for the uh, Farmers for Climate Action team for bringing a report together. And, um, you know, I guess challenging us to think um, about what the future holds and, and where our industries are going. Uh, I think for the grains industry, um, we do produce a bulk commodity. There's no doubt about it. And bulk commodities in, rely on on heavy transport, you know, moving to ports, largely exported in the grains industry. So you know, we're, we're very reliant on um, you know our heavy vehicle freight, our, our, our high productivity truck vehicles, uh, our, our rail system and rail network, and and some of these, uh, you know, as we see some of the impacts of climate change, and and that you know. It's almost that infrastructure that almost becomes most vulnerable to a lot of the the extreme weather events that we do see, um, which is a real challenge. Um, You know, the other other thing that we we have noticed as a trend over the last few years in the grains industry is um, is around biosecurity and, and the changing face of um, pests and diseases as they're travelling around the, the, the globe. And, um, you know, we're very fortunate in Australia. We have a really robust biosecurity um, sort of border protection network. But, you know, what we need to continue to invest in it and make sure we keep it right because, you know, incursions of pests and disease can can cost our industry and cost our markets and those sorts of things. Um, you know, we're, we're really lucky that we, we've been able to intercept many of the... the I guess the particularly nasty uh, you know, insects and that that come to our borders, but they're still out there and they're still moving and they're changing the way they behave as well, so we need to be adaptive in the same way. Um, there's opportunities, though, uh, to be sure, out of out of climate change and um, and. You know, I'm a big believer in in the ingenuity and innovation of our growers themselves. Um, we've seen shifts in the grains industry uh, towards no-till uh, cropping, which is, you know, certainly protecting our soil here in Australia. It's helping us better manage our, our moisture in our soil, helping us build our carbon profile in our soil. But it's actually making us better and more productive farmers to to um some of Stephen's points earlier around, you know, a lot of what the adaptation we're doing um, is actually helping us farm more productively, uh, you know, things like variable rate technology is reducing our costs, as we're seeing at the moment, input costs soaring on, whether well, you name it, whether it be fuel, whether it be fertiliser, whether it be, you know, parts and machinery or, or some of the chemicals we use on farm. So, you know, there's some, some opportunities as the technology and innovation becomes available to farmers to watch them go out there and apply it on their farms and in their businesses and actually achieve things that we, we didn't probably realise we could do five or 10 years ago. So it's great to see. Um, one of the big opportunities we have enjoyed in the grains industry uh, comes uh, it was largely driven out of, out of access to the European market for our canola um, because we're considered a, a relatively low uh, emissions producer of canola. Um, we, we enjoyed access to this um, European canola market for their biofuel program. Uh, that's actually grown as we've seen some of the um, challenges we've had, particularly with barley, for instance, into into um, one of our major markets in China. We've actually had the opportunity to explore other markets, and what we've found is, for the first time, we're exporting malt barley into Mexico, um, into into some of your Mexican beers over there, which a lot of Australians love to enjoy um, as well. And and it's done because we're low emissions producers of barley as well, and so. The marketplace is starting to recognise some of these factors. Uh, one of our larger exporters, uh, CBH in WA, are actually looking at a carbon neutral, neutral grain program at the moment. So things like that and, and exploring what the market demand is for that and what the market will be willing to pay for that, that sort of product. and um. And that's exciting Um, because what it's doing is it's sending that signal directly back to the grower and saying, hey, the market actually values what you do on farm and how you make a difference on farm. And they're prepared to reward you for it. And if we can get that sort of feedback along our supply chain, then I think the opportunities are are incredible. So um, it brings with it challenges uh, this space, but there's a lot of opportunities out there as well.
0: Oh, thanks, Brad. So, I'm really interested in these um, market opportunities that we're finding out about. That's a great example for the grains industry. Um, John, are you able to talk a little more about the opportunities for our red meat industry as we um, shift to a low emissions future?
2: Yeah, thanks, Fiona. Look, I suppose we're looking at a whole bunch of ways we can actually uh, increase probably the demonstration of our provenance in relation to how our food is produced. So, you know, those, particularly the European markets becoming more sophisticated and requiring more uh, demonstration of those credentials. So uh, there's there's plenty of opportunity there for the Australian beef industry to actually get in front of that. And, you know, we've got got a pretty good reputation at the moment Um, and no doubt that uh, the carbon 20 neutral strategy will help facilitate that and through the Australian Boost Sustainability Framework, we're also using that to be able to demonstrate what the industry is doing as far as its uh, ability to combat co- climate change but also its its other sustainability credentials around land um, land use and ground cover and uh, a lot of the work that's been done on carbon sequestration now is, and, and it's uh, in Australia's ability to meet its targets uh under the paris agreement are going to be relying on agriculture uh, so a lot of the work that's happening there is, is going to i suppose set australia in, in 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 good stead to be able to continue to access those markets as well as being able to improve our production systems um, and obviously if we can get uh, carbon sequestration as part of the everyday thinking of agriculture and and, and our ability to improve our soils uh, and probably more importantly, uh, or just as importantly, being able to make better use of those varying rainfall events that are going to continue to occur. So, you know, from a production perspective, we are starting to adapt very, very well. Uh, we're still obviously always room for improvement but the industry I think there's probably been a, a pretty big paradigm shift in the way industry thinks about climate change now and, and how we can better mitigate its impacts um, and, and part of that is it being able to demonstrate to, to customers and consumers that the industry is actually working towards trying to achieve carbon neutrality
0: and this so they're very clear market signals that um, the industry is being sent. How are these flowing down to individual farmers and impacting on what they're doing?
2: Yeah, I think, you know, there's more and more um, requirement for, whether it's a push or a pull mechanism, there is plenty of, you know, there are a lot of uh, processes and customers that are looking for those Providence credentials. So whether, you know, there are people who are, are well out in front of the game on this and, and some people going out in the, in the production sector, they're doing some amazing work and really leading the industry and, um, you know, uh, building, I suppose, and demonstrating to other producers that you can be profitable and you can build a better business and a better production system that is more sustainable than, than what we've previously done. So, uh, you know, one of the big challenges is that for industry is being able to accept that there are better ways of doing things and, um, you know, at the risk of offending a few people here, I suppose, you know, in the, 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 the agriculture sector is not always uh, uh, too welcoming of ideas that sort of test a few um traditional ways of doing things, I suppose. So we probably need to sometimes think outside the box and be prepared to to lose a bit of skill along the way.
0: And uh, Stephen, is this in line with what you heard from other industries as part of the report development around those market opportunities?
1: Absolutely. So uh, this isn't all a question of uh, doom and gloom. If we do get our act together, on combating climate change. uh, This actually represents uh, an opportunity for Australian uh, agriculture. But I did get from all of the consultations I did for this report uh, a feeling from uh, farm bodies and from individual farmers themselves that they're looking for a lead from the federal government uh, that without a commitment from the federal government, uh, they they think that uh, those opportunities will be lost. So one of the key messages is uh, there's a need for industry to work with government and for government to actually uh, set direction on uh, ambitious greenhouse gas reduction targets.
0: And throwing back to you, Brett, what's the single most important thing that you think um, needs to happen at a federal level to address this challenge? Just
3: a small question for you there. Yeah, (laughs) I'm not going to say wow, the single man. Yeah, yeah. look, um, look, I think. Going back to my earlier point, I think farmers themselves are innovators. And, and I think, you know, through the research and um, that we invest in ourselves and through our, our RDC levies um, and the actual application back onto farm, I think if we give farmers the right information the right tools, they'll solve a lot of the on-farm problems themselves. So I don't know that we have to worry as, as much about that. But, you know, getting that supply chain right, making sure it's robust and, and ready to, to handle the demands of the future, um, you know, we know infrastructure around supply chains are expensive. Uh, expensive. expensive Um, we we know that so it needs to be built right and it needs to be maintained so getting our, our road network our rail network right making sure our ports are efficient and you know what we're seeing at the moment with um you know conflict overseas we're seeing you know uh, this little bit of nervousness around a lot of markets and, and often in the case of some of the poorest people in the world around food security and all of that, and Australia has the opportunity to make sure the rest of the world is fed. We produce way more food than when we could ever eat here in Australia. We already have an obesity problem and it will get worse if we eat all our food. So we need to make sure it goes out to the rest of the world and, um, and that's really important, but we need to make sure our supply chains are built in such a way that we can respond when those demands are there and at the moment in the grains industry, we, we've had a come off admittedly a really big uh, winter crop, which is great, great uh, recognition to the skill of our growers, but it's kind of clogged up our supply chain and getting that product out, out off our shores and out to those people that need it the most right now is a bit of a challenge at the moment. So by creating a more efficient supply chain, A, we'll, we'll be doing, creating less emissions along the way, but we'll also be making sure that the world doesn't have to wake up in the morning worrying about where, where their food's going to come from.
0: And John, to put you on the spot. Sorry, what, what do you? Is there one thing you'd like to see done at a federal level? Is there anything you'd add to what Brett's saying there?
2: I don't, I don't, I don't think there's a one thing. That, there's no, there's no single solution to any of this, Fiona. And you know, we, we certainly need the policy settings from the government to be able to uh, incentivise industry to move to a climate neutral position. Uh, we all. Probably if there's one thing we do need from the government is that they need to actually recognise that we've got a pretty big problem and it's coming at us a hell of a lot quicker than what would it be apparent from um, what we're hearing out of government at the moment.
0: Yeah, so something um, I'm asking the questions here, but I'll also chime in because I've been saying a bit this morning. What we think we need to see at Farmers for Climate Action is those really deep emission cuts this decade so that, you know, that challenge is achievable, that we can continue to farm and produce that food for the world. Um, hey, Stephen, one of the things in the report talks about shortening the supply chain. Can you talk a little bit more about what that looks like?
1: Yeah, and this applies mainly to food that's supplied to consumers inside Australia. Uh, if you're exporting food, Uh, You almost by definition, if you go into a country outside of Australia, have a long supply chain in terms of distance, Uh, but shorter supply chains, uh, particularly where farmers uh, supply food direct to consumers or there's uh, local buyers. are actually uh, very resilient. And we've seen this already demonstrated uh, in uh, the COVID pandemic that uh, uh, people who have local supply chains with relationships to, uh, particularly in regional communities, their local butcher or their local greengrocer, uh, didn't run out of food. Uh, those supply chains uh, managed. And uh, they're very resilient in the face of climate change. Uh, they uh, provide a, a lot more spreading of your risk. Look, any any one supply chain, whether it's a long one or a short one, could be affected by a flood. But if instead of one really long supply chain, you have dozens of small ones, uh, you're spreading your risk and, and you're less likely be affected by an extreme uh, weather event like a a bushfire uh, or or a flood or whatever it might happen to be. So uh, effectively, shorter supply chains uh, are uh, a way of managing uh, climate risk, uh, but they also have other advantages. I mean, this is is one of the things that strikes you, that uh, uh, taking action on uh, mitigating uh, climate change uh, can also uh, bring benefits uh, to the average Australian uh, consumer of food. So a short supply chain will, in most cases, deliver fresher, higher quality food to the consumer. And uh, uh, so, so they win as well. And uh, one of the bits of evidence that we gathered for this report was that uh, um, although there's a bit of scepticism from some of the larger Um, uh, farmer representative organisations, certainly uh, bodies like the Open Food Network, who I uh, interviewed, uh, said that uh, consumers are prepared to pay a premium uh, for fresher, locally produced produce, as long as, and this, this reinforces a point that uh, John was making, as long as they know the provenance of it, uh, that is, as long as they know uh, how and where it's been produced and transported, that information to consumers is becoming more and more important, uh, both in Australia and in export markets.
0: And um, Brett or John, do you have anything you'd like to add there about what shorter supply chains would look in, like in your industries?
3: I I can kick off Um, you know we we are a largely export uh, dominated industry in the grains industry but we do have a large domestic markets and and we have the opportunity to to grow those markets as well through some more domestic manufacturing well processing of some of the grains that we produce so whether it be um, you know creating the malt from barley here here onshore and then exporting the malt product you know it's more efficient you 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 you're exporting just the product that that people need and so you know rather than um, the same amount of bulk and that's of thing Um, you're also creating jobs creating opportunities here in australia and we are a country that um uh compared to some of the countries that we export to we are more environmentally aware there's no doubt about it here in australia and so we have that that little bit of a luxury of being able to create some of that manufacturing in a more sustainable manner If that's what we choose as a country to do Um, so you know I think there's opportunities to be sure Um, you know personally I I love I love shopping local I love supporting our local butcher and that so it's a it's an easy argument for me because I always enjoy the fresher food that way but um you know I understand we are dominated by some a couple of particularly large supermarket chains that that would much prefer we walk into their doors and rather than the local stores so I think that's a cultural
1: challenge we have to address Can I mention there, Brett, that that was a point that was also raised with me by the National Farmers Federation, and they were saying that there actually is a role for stronger competition policy in encouraging more diversity amongst our food retailers, and and I
2: think they've got a point there.
0: John, did you have anything to add there from the cattle industry perspective? Oh,
2: look, I probably don't have anything to add, Fiona, I think, I think. Brett has covered covered it really well um, suffice to say you know we've got a very in the meat industry particularly we've got a very complex supply chain um, you know uh, and and we can only sort of store a certain amount of um, product and it's it's because we're largely exporting uh 70 odd percent of it so but i think the the, the points that have been made around those uh, that mana uh, market monopolization by those big supermarkets are problematic to having those shorter supply chains um the other part of it i suppose is that you know people talk about wanting locally produced stuff and but they're also very keen to have it available all the time and are they prepared to pay for it and you know it's um that that's probably the other stumbling point with it. But I certainly acknowledge and agree, totally agree that the shorter supply chains will reduce our exposure to some of these shocks.
0: And I'm going to throw to some of the questions coming through <coughs> our audience in the Q&A. So the first one is for from Pamela Greete, and it's for you, John. Um, so, John, you've been working in this policy and industry lobbying advocacy space for some time now. What realistic expectation can we have that the government of any colour and industry will come together to make real change here, supporting and educating and encouraging producers to change? She writes, seeing the vulnerability of our infrastructure and supply chain through the recent wet had been just a little alarming for someone who relies on the supermarket shelf as a source for sustenance.
2: Yeah, it's a good question, and it's a very complicated question. Uh, But I I think, excuse me, there's, there's, um, I think we, you know, we're getting through to government that we need to make some changes. Uh, And and, you know, we do a lot of work uh, probably behind the scenes, and it doesn't get a lot of ink uh, about what we're doing. But you know, there is certainly a willingness to from government to to look at ways how we can mitigate climate change and. You know, the government has got a number of um, programs in place now around carbon sequestration, biodiversity fund, and some of the other in- initiatives that are coming out of industry, will out of government rather, are helping industry, and industry has certainly been part of those discussions. You know, we've been across the whole agricultural sector, been I think quite influential in being able to get some good outcomes with some of these programs. So. Uh, it's 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 been able to provide a way that uh, industry can engage in in climate change mitigation, be part of the part of the solution, and, and getting um, government to be able to see that there are better ways of doing this rather than a regulatory framework and imposing regulation on industry is a far more constructive way of of. Doing this, and you know, much of the um, these if we can set up some commercial frameworks where it will not only help producers actually uh mitigate the impacts of climate change, you know, work through programs around carbon sequestration, etc., but also potentially find another way to have an income so that they are not wholly in reliant on one source of income, and that being from the production of, of uh, commodities. So, you know, it's it's spreading risk in, in, in other ways, apart from just being uh, able to mitigate the, the direct impacts of climate change and, and managing a property, but it's also being able to mitigate that uh, economic risk by spreading your income sources. Yeah.
3: Fiona, if I could just add to that as well. Um, you know, <coughs> we have this opportunity to meet with a lot, of, a lot of our politicians, a lot of our leaders, and by, by far and away, they are, they are so committed to making our country a better country. They are so committed to, to dealing with some of the challenges of climate change and, and you know, and, and supporting agriculture and all of that. Everyone believes in that but it's a really big challenge. And, you know, they don't always know where to go. They're relying on good advice. And that's why we at Grain Growers, we go in there and we represent the growers and we tell the story of the growers so that they, they can understand. But government, no doubt, is at its finest when it partners with industry, when it partners with the growers and those in the industry. And so, you know, if there was one message to government, it would be do just that. Partner with the industry and, and create the solutions together. And, um, you know, out of that, I think we can, we can deal with a lot of these challenges really quickly.
0: Fantastic and can I just add as well as supporting ag in this work also making sure that our energy and transport sectors are making those big emission reductions as well. Um, I've got another question here. Julie says the latest IPCC report on impacts adaptation and vulnerability highlights some pretty stark issues for ag and food production from climate change. And it states the urgency of adaptation as a result and identifies climate resilient development that integrates adaptation and mitigation rather than arguing one is more important than the other. So Julie's interested in the panelists' reflections on how we can move to a more coherent approach on the ground that addresses both adaptation and mitigation in agriculture. this is a big question. Does anyone want to put their hand up for this one?
1: I'll kick off if I can, Fiona, because Julie is absolutely right. Uh, Adaptation and mitigation aren't either or. And there's plenty of examples where uh, the things you do for adaptation are also mitigation measures. Uh, One of the key ones is electrification based on renewable energy. Uh, So as uh, farm businesses and uh, supply chain operators and processors uh, move to uh, greater electrification, they're reducing greenhouse gas emissions, and they're also uh, adapting uh, to the impacts of climate change, particularly if they can use uh, locally generated uh, uh, short energy supply chain Uh, energy. Uh, Look, uh, and and I'm going to expand out Julie's question even further, because this isn't just an agriculture issue. Uh, It also is about uh, energy supply uh, and how the energy industry works. And there's been a recent report uh, by energy distributors that also talks about the need for more resilience in their supply chains. Um, And it's about transport and it's about retail and it's about uh, consumer law. So, so in other words, it's, it's, it's an integrated package of, of a large number of different aspects uh, that are all required to come together, uh, which is, I suspect, one of the reasons why uh, so many of the farmers that I spoke with were calling on uh, the federal government to, to lead that, because they can integrate all of these different strands.
0: Fantastic. Uh, We've got a question from David Allen about saying, given the fossil fuel issues at the moment, is there any talk of speeding up the transition to hydrogen fuel for the big trucks and so on? Grains and cattle use a lot of big trucks. Have you heard anything, uh, Bresh or John?
3: we we do we we are continually looking at um you know how we can improve the efficiency of our machinery and that sort of thing the answer is it's not going to happen tomorrow um you know we 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 are facing some enormous fuel prices at the moment along with fertilizer prices along with chemical prices uh, uh you know along with labor costs and things like that and um we know when our growers you know pull their machines out of out of the sheds come you know april may and they sow this year's crop they're doing it really in faith this year um, because the the output costs like the the cost of putting the crop in the ground is going to be much bigger than it's ever been so the risk they're taking the risk they're exposing themselves their businesses their families to is much greater than it's ever been so yeah absolutely we need to have that move, move towards um you know, cleaner emissions vehicles, um, you know, as a matter of urgency, but the technology is not there yet. So in the meantime, we have to think about, um, you know, how we manage what we're doing currently, how we can be doing it better and more efficiently and how along the way we can care for the environment and um, just that, that last question around um, mitigation and adapt- adaptation, uh, one of the things we did do at Grain Growers a, a year or so ago was we compared a lot of the carbon calculators that growers can use on farm to kind of get a picture of what they're, what they're doing, you know, how they can make improvements. And what we found is they all tell a different story depending on which one you pick up. And so, you know, even things like that, just creating we're creating accurate tools so farmers can measure what they're doing on farm, what their footprint looks like, but also, you know, if I make a change, what would the impact of that be? Will it be positive? Will it be negative? Will it be significant? Will it outweigh the cost? All these sorts of questions. So, you know, um, that, that reports on our website at www.graingrowers.com.au. So please have a look at it, but um, you know, things like that are really important to giving growers the information they need to be able to make the the changes that, um, that will make them better farmers.
0: Uh, John, you might have something to add to this, but I also have another question for you. Um, so feel free to chime in with what you want to answer there. But also, uh, we've got a question about how close we are to the wide use of seaweed to reduce methane emissions. So you know, the cattle industry is feeling a lot of heat around the methane emissions issue. And so I wondered if you could talk a bit more about yeah, what's being done, whatever most powerful things that can be done to reduce emissions.
2: Yeah, well, I just finished maybe off, off on the issue of, of fuel. Uh, Fiona, but, you know, one of the obviously the, the issue is refuelling in the, in the cattle industry. I mean, we pull some cattle out of some pretty remote areas, and it's probably part of that infrastructure that will need to be put in place so that all vehicles, regardless of whether they're in industry or private vehicles have access to alternative fuel sources so it's it's part of that discussion that needs to occur uh, through that process um, and unless you know unless there's a, a significant change in, in the number of places that you can refuel using those products um, it's probably as as brett said it's probably a long way off yet but um, yeah it's certainly part of the thinking that's happening in the industry. Uh, in relation to the seaweed one, look, MLA is doing a lot of work and research into that, and there are probably people on this on this uh, chat who are far more qualified to answer this question. But needless to say, the, the, the work that's been done and the research is showing some uh, very good um Results and, and reductions in methane. My my understanding is that it's you know reducing methane emissions by well over ninety percent. Um, the the challenge for us will be how do we make it available and, and particularly in extensive air, rangelands uh, production systems. How do we get it into those animals? So um, and, and you know again, what are the incentives for people to do that? Um, but there is certainly, as I understand it, significant reduction in those methane emissions, but there are, and as well as, some significant um, uh, production benefits. So animal animal nutrition and health is also much improved by it as well. So, But yeah, look, there might be someone on this call that would, could answer that in more detail, but happy to come back with, with some more information on that one.
0: Thanks, John. Um, I was hearing recently about a product, I think is it KNOP, that's like seaweed but will be available later this year. It's a chemical <laughs> I don't know. There seemed to be a low awareness about it. I'm interested in those other solutions as they come through and yet actually getting them through to farmers because that's a big job, isn't it? We've got a lot of farmers um, getting that message through. But also... Um, what happens for farmers that aren't using feedlots? Because a lot of these solutions, aren't they, are best for a feedlot situation. And the reality is we have a lot of grazing and we want to kind of keep our grazing um, going. So do you know much more about those solutions?
2: Uh, not a lot, but uh, and, and the one you've, the other product you've mentioned, I haven't heard of it either. So, um, again, there's probably other people more qualified to answer the question. But I think the point of a lot of this is that, you know, there's a significant amount of research going on. Uh, MLA have invested a lot of money into into doing so and, uh, you know, we're certainly looking at ways as to how from a policy setting perspective that we can sort of help with government incentives to actually work on uh, you know get that out into the broader industry because at the moment I suppose there are a few roadblocks to it but you know again it's just one of the things that we look at how we adapt and you know from a as a peak industry council where what role we play in, in uh facilitating that either a you know as a from a policy perspective or from a um you know, an extension perspective, um, we can help roll those sorts of products out and that information.
0: Fantastic. So Karen's got a question here. She says, some supply chain challenges may be mitigated by biodiversity in product. Um, it's, I, she's saying, I'm thinking of growing a number of um, small and startup farmers with niche market, markets, region, etc. However, in Victoria, this is being stifled by a lack of abattoirs. Is this something you're
2: seeing at a national level, um, John? Well, I think there is a supply chain constraint there. You know, there's a lot of uh, a lot of processes now don't do what the old, what a lot of avatars used to do as a service skill. So you know, they're basically buying uh, product and, and selling it overseas under their own brand. So uh, you know, the 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 challenge is certainly for those smaller operators to be able to access um, processing facilities that are, you know, relatively close to home. So yeah, there are some constraints here, is my understanding.
0: And I'll just say, um, David Allens has messaged us saying it's three in OP, and he says, looking good. So one for us to look up there. Um, Kurt Smith is asking, it was mentioned the euro market is perhaps more sophisticated and there's demand for low emission product. Do you think that there's the same demand domestically? And if there's not, how do we increase that? I wonder, Stephen, do you have any thoughts on that one?
1: Yeah, look, clearly we don't have the same pressure to uh, reduce the carbon impact of our food products here as you find in some European markets. I mean, in, in doing this report for you, for Farmers for Climate Action, Fiona, uh, I looked at uh, uh, some of the uh, policies of some of the major supermarket chains. Uh, so for example, uh, some of the uh, biggest British supermarket chains like Sainsbury's have not only committed themselves to go carbon neutral, uh, but demanding that all of their suppliers at every stage of the supply chain also are carbon neutral. So, so they're, they're pushing it very hard so what do we do to, to, to move to a similar situation in Australia? I, I think part of the solution is uh, the work of Farmers for Climate Action in commissioning reports like this to, to raise awareness so people understand how important an issue it is for us.
0: Fantastic, thank you. Um, Greg's asked, what's the role of the federal government in all of this? Is it a financial one? So helping finance change? Is it infrastructure or is it both? Does anyone want to put their hand up for this one? Brett, you're nodding. I can see you there.
3: (laughs) I was thinking the answer to that is
0: yes.
3: (laughs) It it is absolutely all of those things. And look, it's even policy decisions around, um, you know, how they they value, uh, I guess, you know, carbon policy here in Australia. And and it's a big challenge. And, And I think to say one is more valuable than the other, um, it is like a chain. It's only as strong as its weakest link. And if we focus on one part of that chain, then it's going to break somewhere else. So, so we need to be holistic in our approach. We need to make sure we've got the right infrastructure. We need to make sure that we've got the right policy settings. We need to make sure that we've got the right support for growers, um, you know, it, it themselves. We need to make sure that we're, we've got the right information, the right research going on as well. So, it's an everything um, answer. And I know that probably doesn't answer the question, but um, you know, I think it is hard to look at it any. Differently than that,
0: Brett? Did you? I'm oh, sorry, not Brett. John, did you have anything to add to that?
2: Oh, look, I think Brett's covered it well. I, you know, in the interest of time. I think I'd be just repeating what I've said earlier, Fiona. And, okay. you, know, you do need those policy settings, and, and and infrastructure, and funding. It's it's all of the above.
0: Yeah. Uh, Jo McCubbin asks, are there opportunities for new produce that may be more suitable to the climate of the future? So she's thinking of things like coffee, spices, dates, chia, things that we don't necessarily think of as local produce at present. And she also says, why is it so hard to buy tomato products, mainly sourced from Australian farms? It's a big question. Uh, Stephen, do you want to take a first go at this one?
1: Yeah, look, we're already seeing some of that. So. Uh, particularly farmers in the north of Australia are changing their product mix uh, to respond to uh, the impacts of warmer weather uh, which uh, clearly some parts of the north are no longer viable for some traditional products but they're moving to alternative products so it's, it's a very good question and it's uh, something where uh, the, the biggest gap at the moment is uh, information available to producers uh, to make their investment in a changed product. Because bear in mind that if if you're producing uh, a product and that's what you know how to grow, uh, making a shift is actually a very big investment and and a big challenge. So uh, you don't want to do it without uh, good information on what's going to be viable. So again, that's that's where the role for government comes in to helping overcome those information gaps.
0: Fantastic. Um, Brett, any grains, varieties we should be looking at here that people can diversify into?
3: We Are already seeing a diversification in the grains industry. Um, you know, the growth of pulse crops, uh, particularly through Western Victoria, has been enormous. Um, you know, it, it's hard to buy a lentil burger now that it didn't come from Western Victoria, which is great to see. Um, and the innovation of growers, the research and development that's going into some of those products is, is really amazing. We've got some um quinoa grown on over in WA and up in in Northern Queensland as well. Like, you know, it, it's products like that have been grown around the country. Uh, you know, there, there's growers, I guess, playing around with new varieties. We're seeing new technology coming into the crops we produce and we're actually improving the quality of what we're, we're growing as well, which is really exciting for the consumer because it means that, you know, not only are they enjoying a, a real clean uh, and safely produced product when they enjoy Australian grain, they're actually getting the best nutrition they can out of it as well. So, so that's a big step forward as well.
0: So, John, it's a bit... A- It's a long process to shift breeding um, in a beef operation. Are we seeing a shift towards particular breeds that may be more suited to the climates that we're moving into?
2: Uh, I'd probably say they're adapting to to climate change anyway. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, look, people will make their own decisions as to what breeds they use. Obviously, uh, the Bos Indigus cattle were introduced to, because of their ability to, to handle more extreme climatic conditions, particularly heat. So, um, you know, there may be a, a shift towards those type of animals or, you know, certainly composites that contain those traits that can be sourced from those in boss, boss index animals. So, um, you know, that may be something that we see more of in the future that is driven by... Uh, a change in, in our climatic conditions. Um, but again, you know, that'll be up to individual producers to make those decisions and they are best placed to do so. And then, you know, in, in I suppose, thinking about where what their end market is and and, and where they're targeted, targeting a certain product um, will also influence those. They're, they're, you know, they're quite complex decisions for producers because, uh, you know, to change tack on. A breeding program takes a, a considerable amount of time, and uh, you know, so it's not generally something that's done lightly. And one of the challenges for agriculture, and Stephen's already mentioned it, is you know, it takes considerable time and financial commitment to making some of these changes. And uh, so, you know, it's it's not something you can do on a whim. But certainly, there are. And we'll continue to be re- ongoing research into into animal productivity, and uh, part of that will be how we how we do that is from a welfare perspective as well, because obviously the more extreme climatic conditions we face, then um, the ability of those animals to handle those conditions will be extremely important, both from a from a production perspective, but also because we have a moral obligation to look after animal welfare.
0: So I've very much enjoyed this conversation. I do note that we're coming up close to three (laughs) o'clock. So I just wanted to give each of our speakers the opportunity to have a to have a final word today before we start wrapping up. So I might go back to where we started. So Stephen Bartos, our report author, What's your your final message to our audience today?
1: Well, I've just noticed a very good comment from someone called Magdalena in the uh, chat section about food waste. And that's also referred to in this report. uh, Both the IPCC and the Australian Academy of Science pointed to the issue that uh, if we can reduce food waste, we also uh, can actually make a big impact on climate change. So what that illustrates to me is, I think, uh, an important message, and that is that a lot of what we do to deal with the problem of climate change is also good for other reasons. It's good for productivity. It's good for saving costs. So we should keep our eye on the fact that uh, if we do take action uh, to reduce greenhouse gas emissions in the various ways that are available to us, uh, then we can actually uh, benefit consumers, benefit farmers, and benefit the planet by reducing uh, greenhouse gas emissions. So uh, there's there's a, a really good case for action there.
0: Fantastic, Brett. Did
3: you want to go next? Yeah. Um, look, just a really big thank you to again to Stephen and the and the. Farmers for Climate Action team for the report and for the challenges that it it, it has highlighted and the opportunities. I mean, without a doubt, there's enormous opportunity for, for our grain growers, but for all of agriculture, you know, in tackling this carbon space and as we learn more about it and grow our productivity in line with a more, I guess, a less lower lower emissions intensity in the products we produce. So um, well done. And um, I guess the next challenge is what what uh, where the society and what the, our, our government chooses to do with reports like this, as well. So that's the next challenge.
0: And John, over to you. Do you have any? Questions?
2: Yeah, thanks, Fiona. Look, I yeah, certainly appreciate um, you know the work that's gone into developing this report and the foresight it's taken to to actually bring it to fruition. So uh, I suppose if I had a, a challenge, would be for us: what do we do with it now, and and how do we take this forum and? You know, there's obviously across the whole production sector and, and more broadly in agriculture is, is how do we actually combine our efforts in, in, in doing something about this enormous challenge that we're facing and, uh, you know, because we, we've got people in the cattle industry who are grain growers and vice versa. So, you know, we're all we're all basically in this together. So it's, it's how do we actually... Um, Work together more effectively and 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 structure our our policy development and our advocacy and our R and D to actually mitigate and and adapt to climate change and you know get more uh, impetus from government and and industry and and across the whole um, country to actually be able to do something meaningful about this in a more coordinated way. But again, thanks thanks for the opportunity and. It's uh, yeah, it's been a it's been a very insightful discussion.
0: Oh, thanks, John. So yeah, thank you to all of our speakers today. And something I oh, yeah, I think it's been a great discussion. Something I forgot to do at the start is to acknowledge that we've got our chair Charlie Prell here today. So thanks, Charlie, for all you do for Farmers for Climate Action. I one of the great things about facilitating is that I get to have the final word here too. So just to add my two cents. We've got lots we could be doing here to adapt and mitigate our supply chain system, and that's on-farm and right through. So there's lots we can be doing there, lots of conversations we need to be having, working together, talking to government. But ultimately, we do need those deep emission cuts this decade. We need a bipartisan uh, governmental approach that ensures that we take those cuts now that save us so much risk and so much money in the longer term. Rural and regional Australia stands to benefit from the shift to a low emissions future. And there's also a limit to how far we can adapt. So we need to see that and we need to see that soon. So we've seen some good first steps with the agreement to a net zero by 2050 goal. So let's, um, we look forward to working together to see that those important next steps taken. So we'll be reaching out to MPs to talk about this report will be talking to industry and we'd love to hear from um, all of you in the audience as well. And I'm sorry we couldn't get to all of your questions, but um, it's been great to hear, hear from you today. Thank you for coming. Thank you for listening to our report launch conversation. Don't forget to subscribe to Over the Fence and rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts. If you're interested in finding out more or getting involved with Farmers for Climate Action, you can visit the website at farmersforclimateaction.org.au. Otherwise, connect with us on social media.